Welcome to the Heoni podcast series. The European Institute for Crime Prevention and Control, affiliated with the United Nations, is the European link in the network of institutes operating within the framework of the United Nations Crime Prevention and Criminal Justice Program. The work started in 1981, and today we are celebrating Heoni's 40th anniversary. podcast series. Uh, today my guest is Professor Miklos Lieve uh, from Hungary. This is our second episode and how are you doing Miklos? I'm fine Kasper. Thank you very much. It's nice to have you here. M- Professor Miklos Lieve is the chairperson of the advisory board of HEUNI and uh, by HEUNI I mean our European Institute for Crime Prevention and Control has been the chairperson of the advisory board from 2013 to 2017 and then later on from 2018 till 2022. He's professor of criminology and criminal law at the Etves Lorand University. So Miklos, uh, you grew up in Hungary and after receiving your lawyer qualification, uh, the bar exam in 1984, you applied for a scholarship at the Heuni Institute here in Finland. Your applications were successful and you completed two scholarships. Uh, The first one was in 1986 and then two years later you did one scholarship in 1988. The times were very different back then. What were the differences between Finland and Hungary at that time? First of all, I thank the Heuni that I can be part of the 40th anniversary podcast series. I appreciate the institute's Uh, very much. There was, of course, very big difference between Finland and uh, Hungary before uh, 1990, actually, during uh, the middle of the 1980s. By that time, uh, I was the head of the Department of uh, Criminal Sciences at the University of Miskol. Tibor Horvath was the head of our department, and he, he, he was the initiator of uh, the Finnish-Hungarian uh, criminal law uh, series. It was really important for the Hungarian uh, scholars uh, in the field of criminal sciences, but in other social sciences, the relationship with uh, the Finnish academics. Finland uh, was uh, a so-called friendly Western country for Hungary. Finland was not a member of the NATO, was not a member of common market, and uh, we, we are language uh, relative. That's why it was not so difficult to get contact, to make relationship with uh, Finnish uh, university professors and, and academics. So, and when uh, Professor Tibor Horvath arrived at the University of Miskol, he recommended uh, me I should apply for uh, the Heuni scholars. And when I uh, applied, in 1986 for a Heuni scholarship, and and I got it. And I came to the Heuni, I think it was the first week of December 1986, for a one-week scholarship. In that week was uh, a victimology symposium. The Western uh, professors and academics and uh, Finnish ones, I was a young scholar who could participate uh, in the seminar. Can you tell us a memory from your visit to Heuni? Was there something um, 
something special which coming to Finland? Was there something that you found very interesting compared to your hometown? We took a taxi. I was surprised that the taxi could be not a Soviet Jiguli. And it was, uh, I think it was a messy that, and the cleanliness of Helsinki comparing with this beautiful. It was not a dirty city, but dirtier than uh, Helsinki. <laughs> I understand. And the first day of the symposium, actually, we traveled to the Heuni by metro, by underground. At the, uh, at the metro, I noticed that the name of the metro stations with two languages, Finnish and Swedish. And in the metro, I listened to speakers, he or she mentioned the name of the station, two languages, Finnish and Swedish. So I remember uh, the name of the terminal in Finnish, Itakeskus in Swedish, Östra Centrum, and uh, it was uh, was really impressive for me that the country could work with uh, with two official uh, languages. It was completely new for me. So, so in Finland we have two official languages. Of course, the Swedish speaking are in a minority. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but, st- but still, but do you in Hungary have um, any other languages that are very common? Do you have any official languages besides Hungarian? No, no. We just. Uh, one official language, Hungarian. However, we have minority schools, uh, for example, the Slovakian minority, Serb minority, Croatian minority. In that time, why I was uh, surprised uh, because of the Hungarian minority situation in Romania. It was a very big uh, debate and fight, the opportunity using uh, the Hungarian language in the schools and how could be in a in a city or village where the Hungarian minority actually the majority using uh, their own language. It was a very big debate for the time of Ceausescu Romania. That's why I, I was thinking how well country could be operating or working in two official languages. The minority has a right to use. Uh, their own language. As far as uh, the profes- my professional program, uh, I was lucky because an outstanding Hungarian scholar, uh, Professor Károly Bard, was a visiting fellow uh, for a longer period of time at the Heuni, and uh, he, he helped me a lot, uh, giving advice what I sh- should do, and he was talking about uh, uh, the Heuni, uh, the activities of the Hemuni. So, in that time, the director of the institute was Inkeri Antilla. She provided me opportunity uh, to meet and talking about uh, my research activities at my home university, why I came to the Hemuni, and uh, director Antilla was uh, so polite, and I was uh, astonished that uh, she was interested in uh, a young uh, uh, Hungarian scholar uh, activities, the future plan, uh, and so on. Have you stayed in contact also after your visit to Finland? Yes, of course. Uh, he's a Hungarian professor, Károly Bard. After 1990, during the first pre-election government, Professor Károly Bard was uh, the deputy secretary of the Ministry of Justice. He was responsible for uh, uh, 
the criminal justice uh, policy of the government or for Hungary and uh, I uh, was invited uh, uh, to the ministry working as a, a part-time researcher. It was really useful for my career because I had the opportunity to study how the preparation of uh, the criminal law to study the criminal law legislation. Today we have a friendly and professional connection, Professor Károly Bard. Your common journey started from Finland to Hungarians in Finland and then you <laughs> continued continued yeah. working together later on in Hungary. Yeah, uh, I must say uh, I was surprised when I went to the Heuni and more or less the first person uh, who I noticed was a Hungarian, my former teacher anyway at the university, uh, Mr. Károly Bar. It was funny and, uh, and nice. 2016, it was a great honor for me to be able to hold the 11th Memorial Lecture at the University of Helsinki. It was a, a great privilege for me. In addition to an impressive career at the university, you have also worked as Justice of the Constitutional Court of Hungary. Uh, what would you say was your most interesting case? Yes, that's right. Uh, between 2007 and 2016, I was a member of the, the Hungarian uh, Constitutional Court. As a reporter, I typically had cases related to criminal law and, uh, and criminal justice. The most interesting uh, case was, for me, the constitutional review, the whole life sentence or uh, life imprisonment uh, without parole in 2008. We had to be reviewed whether provision of the death time uh, penal code, which in this case imposing life imprisonment uh, without parole, according to the regulation of this, uh, this uh, punishment in the penal code, the judge has uh, the right to decide, exclude the possibility of uh, parole against the convicted person, and was challenged from the constitutional point of view this, uh, this type of uh, imprisonment, actually the whole life sentence. So it was not a successful uh, uh, story and case for me, but that was my most uh, interesting and important case. We, we discussed this case several occasions. My standpoint was that the uh, provision of the penal code about uh, life imprisonment uh, without parole or the opportunity that uh, the judge can exclude uh, the parole. In my position was that this uh, uh, rule of the penal code, this section uh, is unconstitutional. And uh, my position uh, uh, based on uh, provision or provision of the Hungarian constitution, which prohibit inhuman and degrading, degrading uh, punishment and guarantee the inviolability, the right uh, to human dignity. And another one, that the conformity of Hungarian laws with international law. In this case, I'm thinking about the European Convention, uh, the human rights, and the Strasbourg Court, the European uh, Court of uh, Human Rights practice concerning uh, the life imprisonment without parole. Um, it's my 
opinion that uh, the Hungary should follow state party of the convention, not just uh, uh, the provisions of the convention, but uh, uh, the practice and decisions, judgments of Strasbourg uh, court. On this uh, subject, I mean the, the life imprisonment without parole, the Strasbourg court just was ruled in 2008. Uh, it judgment, the case of uh, Kafkaris versus Cyprus, that the life imprisonment must be reduced, but rather it must be capable of being uh, reduced. Furthermore, Strasbourg court stated life sentence not per se compatible with the convention if the lifer had any prospect of release. So for a while, the majority of uh, the fellow judges or justices seemed to agree with me, supporting my argument. However, at the, once uh, at the court meeting, somebody said that uh, I uh, misinterpreted uh, the Kafkaist case. I'm not right. And president of the court stopped the discussion and removed the case from the agenda. And no decision was taken uh, in this case. Yeah, and I resigned as a reporter the case. If you are not uh, uh, agree with uh, the majority opinion or standpoint, you have a right to give back the case as a reporter. You shouldn't have to write the majority opinion if you don't understand with the majority opinion. So that's why I gave back the case. What happened to this case? if it was taken off the agenda what does it mean when it's taken off the agenda what did you do after after you were signed nothing happened a few years later uh, the constitutional court started uh, to deal with actually this case i mean uh, constitutional review of life imprisonment without parole and it was in uh, in 2013 in that time, we had a new penal code, a new fundamental law. The fundamental law, that's the name of uh, the today Hungarian constitution. Uh, and in the new penal law, uh, there is uh, a provision on life imprisonment uh, without uh, parole. However, because of uh, a Strasbourg court judgment, the Hungarian government uh, accepted uh, a law on uh, the mandatory pardon procedure, uh, because it's a requirement of the Strasbourg court legal practice concerning life imprisonment without parole, that it should be a mandatory parole uh, or clemency uh, procedure, which could reviewing the necessity uh, of uh, uh, further life imprisonment. And 25 years, according to the Strasbourg Court requirement, the state has to review the necessity further life imprisonment. So the Hungarian uh, uh, Parliament accepted the mentioned law on uh, the mandatory uh, pardon review uh, procedure. However, according to the Hungarian law, the pardon uh, committee should uh, review after 40 years. 25, uh, the necessity of uh, the life imprisonment, and not uh, this committee uh, take or made 
makes the final decision, but the president of the country. According to the Strasbourg court requirement, it's not enough if president or the king of the country uh, decide, decides on uh, the necessity of life imprisonment, should need an independent committee. It was surprised that uh, uh, the Constitutional Court uh, decided in 2013, okay, no problem with uh, the Hungarian life imprisonment without parole because we have uh, a review procedure and we have uh, a committee which deals with uh, the necessity and terminated uh, the case. Since then, uh, the Strasbourg Court made judgment against Hungary three times because of today's uh, version of the life imprisonment without parole. If uh, we look at uh, the Strasbourg Court uh, judgment concerning life imprisonment without parole and the judgments uh, uh, against Hungary, I think I didn't uh, misinterpret uh, the Kafkaris versus Cyprus case. After a long journey, you won. <laughs> yes. As we know, uh, the current government in Hungary has made serious changes to the independence of the courts by shifting power from the courts to the parliament, meaning that the ruling party gained an influence over the judges and courts. Uh, for example, the Orban government uh, centralized the appointment of judges and the overseeing of courts to the head of national office of the judiciary, whom is chosen by the Fidesz party, giving Viktor Orban a tight grip over the appointment of judges. This, of course, clashes with the European Union values, and as we know, Hungary has been under scrutiny from the EU for breaches of the rule of law. How do you see the current rule of law situation in Hungary? Uh, well, I think it fits the current situation which the Hungarian poet wrote about uh, uh, the country during the turn of the 19th and 20th century uh, from a hate, the country is still there. So while we can say that from a hate, the rule of law still exists in Hungary. However, if we take a closer look at uh, the situation of the rule of law, there are, are, there, uh, are already problems. As you know, in the parliamentary uh, elections of 2010, the former opposition, the right-wing uh, conservative coalition parties, won a two-thirds majority and obtained roughly 70%, actually uh, 68% of the parlamentary seats. Before the election, the Viktor Orban, the head of the leading, who was the head of the leading opposition party, Fidesz uh, uh, said the following, small victory, small change, big victory, big change. There is no doubt that uh, Mr. Orban has uh, kept his promise. The Fidesz uh, Christian Democratic uh, Party coalition a government transformed or, or modified the Hungarian constitutional governmental system. For example, as early as 2010, procedure for nominating constitutional court judges was changed. Uh, before 2010, each parliamentary party had one representative in the parliamentary committee nominating uh, constitutional court judges. That person could be a nominee who was voted two-thirds majority 
to the committee member. This meant that a consensus was needed between political parties. For example, I was uh, nominated for the constitutional court in 2007, and the representatives of the opposition parties accepted my nomination. In Hungary, a candidate can be elected as justice of the constitutional court with two-thirds majority of the MPs. I was elected by more than two-thirds majority, which meant that, uh, that uh, the MPs of the opposition party, for example, Fidesz and Christian Democratic parties, voted for my election. However, the consensual character of the nomination process changed in 2010 by a parliamentary resolution. A parliamentary resolution in that year changed the composition of the parliamentary committee of nominating judges for the constitutional court. The point of the change is that the new 15-member committee included 10 governmental MPs and 5 opposition MPs. A nominee who is nominated by a governmental party was guaranteed two-thirds support. There is no need for consensus with the, with the opposition parties. There was no need for consensus to adopt the new constitution or the fundamental law in its official name, as I mentioned, either. In Hungary, two-thirds of the MPs or deputies are enough to adopt a new constitution and amend the constitution. This was provided by Fidesz and Christian Democratic Party in 2011, and thus the 2012 fundamental law in Hungary uh, could be accepted. So in the last more than 10 years, a number of non-consensual governmental and parliamentary decisions have been made, which affect the political, economic, and the judicial system, media, cultural life, and higher education. So this illiberal democracy, as Viktor Orban calls uh, the today political regime, actually, in the practice, lacks a system of checks and balance, which is an essential element of the rule of law. I find apt concept to describe require this regime as a hybrid regime. The concept suggests that the formal institution of democracy can coexist with authoritarian mode of government. government. The concept points out that the hybrid regime for those holding power to create an uneven playing field that disadvantages the opposition as we have seen in the constitutional judge uh, nomination process. In my point of view, the rule of law of, uh, of Hungary. This is not a consensual democracy. This is a so-called authoritarian uh, regime. I think you're certainly right that there, there was a big change. During these 11 years, the Fidesz party has done huge changes yeah. in the government. Yeah. And uh, especially thinking of your what you said, checks and balances, that the courts had independence, and especially the constitutional court, that checks that the legislation is intact with the constitution has now shifted to the parliament that selects who sits in the constitutional court. So the parliament now chooses what opinion they are of their own legislation in the court. Yeah, exactly. And as I mentioned, uh, the governmental parties uh, have a two-third majority. 
which is enough for everything, modifying uh, the fundamental law during the past, uh, actually, nine uh, years, the constitution or the fundamental law uh, was amended or modified nine times, nine times. Um, and uh, today you couldn't find, uh, uh, if we are talking about the constitutional court, all of the judges uh, uh, nominated, uh, actually nominated by the Fidesz Christian Democratic Coalition. I wouldn't say that it means that the members of the constitutional court couldn't deal with impartial way a given case. But the situation, all of the members of the constitutional court nominated by Fidesz Christian Democratic government and elected by the two-thirds majority, the MPs. And the two-thirds majority uh, means MPs of the Fidesz Christian Democratic Party. And now in Hungary, all the opposition parties are in a coalition waiting for an election to, to oust out the, the Fidesz Christian coalition and make a change in government. The next uh, parliamentary election uh, will be in 2022. And the opposition parties started to make a coalition and uh, during the election would be joint uh, opposition uh, coalition, we will see, we will see. Because, uh, we'll hope for the best. I would be happy if uh, not just the rule of law would be not just from the hate, but the rule of law would be in the practice of the Hungarian uh, uh, constitutional uh, system and we would have really checks and balances system and in the practice not just in the law and in uh, the fundamental but in the practice not only as text written in Ex law but exactly but also to follow the law and otherwise it's only empty words uh, i agree with you thinking of history and development i have understood that heuni functioned as a bridge in particular for young criminologists between the east to the west what role do you think Heuni played in the past as a bridge builder? Heuni was a really important bridge builder between the East and the West and had a lot of scholars from former socialist countries. It was really helpful for the criminal justice experts from these countries could come to the Heuni for a shorter period of, of scholarship. That was, uh, I think, uh, the main uh, function, the past of the Heuni as a bridge builder. But uh, as I mentioned, the, uh, the situation is changed. Europe not uh, divided the same way as was divided uh, before 1990. The scholarship program, how scholarship holders can contribute or uh, can be involved in a research project uh, of the Heuni. So I think the Heuni as a bridge builder in the future would be a bridge builder between European research uh, teams. You talked about scholarships. We have also talked a lot of on research. As you know, research is done each day and publications get released all the time. But there is also a lot of disinformation. That disinformation usually discredits research findings and outcomes and trying to invalid uh, the research outcome and the work that was done for the outcome. What do you think the future of research 
is in such a world where there's a lot of disinformation? It's a, it's a difficult question, precisely because of the reasons and, and, and the facts and factors which, which you mentioned. Trustworthy, the researchers, the research institutes, and the characters in the media who authentically communicate and explain research findings. This information must be refuted. Counter evidence must come in as quickly as often as when we are talking about uh, research findings, we should the communication a different way for a research community, different way the so-called ordinary people, different way uh, the young generation. Because uh, in this way, we have chance uh, to understand uh, the people uh, and the community, uh, what is the real one, what is the fake among uh, uh, research finding, but but it's really difficult because uh, actually you cannot control the social media. So actually, I don't know what would be the best way to avoid uh, those phenomena which, which you were talking about. And then they create it in such a way that it will be spread on social media across the platforms, and then the disinformation has taken over. And that's always, I think, what's the what's the problem with social media is that it's not the facts that pop up on the trending side. Yeah, 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 you're right. How do you see the risks of the declining rule of law affect independent academic research? I think that the democracy, in addition to the rule of law, includes the autonomy of the universities and the freedom of uh, research, academic freedom. So uh, the rule of law certainly has an impact on, on independent academic research, especially in social science. The situation of uh, rule of law affects enormous way of uh, research uh, opportunities and academic freedom and, and, uh, and, and university life. So when everything is fine with the rule of law, you don't care with uh, academic freedom and so on, because it's uh, standard or normal status in a real democracy where uh, the rule of law is respected. Uh, do you know any cases where the declining rule of law has been the reason for affecting the independence of academic research? Uh, any cases? How, no, no, I don't know, but our department has few uh, PhD students whose research topic subject, the prisoner's life, of course, uh, during the past, uh, uh, actually, two years, we are coping with uh, the pandemia. That's why uh, going to the prison is a difficult, uh, difficult uh, situation and opportunity. However, before, before the started the pandemia, it was much more difficult to go into the prison, the researchers, the PhD students, making a research program concerning a prisoner's life than before. This is the only area of the research which I know that there are some difficulties. And thank you, thank you, Miklos, for having the time to guest on our podcast. You are the second, second guest of our podcast series, and it's been an honor to have you here. But to end this podcast with style, what would be your three birthday wishes to Heuni? So thank you very much. 
again for the opportunity. And my three birthday wishes to the Heavenly. First of all, I wish Heavenly prosperity. That is a bigger budget, more research projects, and more staff number. So my second wish, the UN Crime Congress in Helsinki or in Budapest. Third, to have a meeting of Heavenly's advisory board in Helsinki, so not just online. That's my three birthday wishes uh, to the Heavenly. I think those three birthday wishes sound great, <laughs> and I hope and I really hope that having a UN Crime Congress in Helsinki would be possible someday. Thank you very much, and kitos. So thank you, Miklos, for being here, and remember, listeners, uh, to subscribe to this podcast series. And if you're interested in what Heuni is doing, go on to our website heuni.fi. And then you can also subscribe to our newsletter so you will know always what's going on at the institution. So thank you, Miklos, and have a nice day and all the best to Hungary. Thank you.